No, so in the fast, um, we just realized, uh, I think, uh, and Lindsay and I, the Lord um, a year ago just called Lindsay and I to some simplicity, just in our own, uh, our, our own lives and, and within our family, just some simplicity. We just realized, uh, and, and uh, some ways that we chase things that are not of the Lord. You ever just kind of recognize those moments? That it's like, man, this isn't a bad thing, but this isn't of you. Um, and and I, I've, we've realized that in a greater measure over this, uh, over this fast, just how easy it is for us to get distracted and go after things that are not of God. That how fickle we are. You ever noticed how fickle you can be? That one moment it's like my heart burns for the Lord, and then the next moment it's like, oh, but that'd be nice too, right? And we've just kind of noticed that I've noticed this fickleness in my heart, and, uh, and that's just been my prayers. Just, just uh, Lord, just purge me of that. Purge me of a fickle heart. Purge me of this heart that is easily swayed by things that, that are appealing to my flesh nature and, and, and replace that with a, a burning for you, for, for things that are of the kingdom of heaven, for things that are of you, for your nature and the, and the person of Jesus. Like I, That's what I want to burn for. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you will be filled, Right? talks about this satisfaction when we hunger and thirst for things of him. And so that's why I just want you just this morning, that's what's on my heart, uh, is just the awareness of my fickleness in my flesh and just asking God to remove some of the things that I chase after and replace it with a burning for him. So that's what's on my heart. And I just would ask that you would just uh, pray that with me and not, not just for me, but that we as a people, especially as we're beginning to pray, that we would just go, God, let us not be satisfied with things that are, um, that are just of the earth. Uh, may, we, may we desire things that are deeper, things that are from you, things that are from your heart and from your nature. So I don't know what you came in here with. You may have come in here with chasing something uh, of the earth. You may, have, you may have walked in here, and that is your complete mindset is something um, of the earth. And we're just going to ask God to change our heart, to remove that, that uh, desire from us. So I just would ask that before we start, you would just join me in that. Is that cool? So just take a moment and do business with the Spirit and ask for Him to, uh, to make you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Holy Spirit, we just come before you and just confess to you that it it is so easy for us to chase things of our flesh. I just confess to you just many times, even in this week, where I've been distracted and, um, and concentrated my focus on things which are not of you. So I just ask that we, just, we, we want this to be a corporate work. We just ask that across the room that we might recognize that the only thing that can fill us and satisfy us is you. The only thing that can quench the desire that you've put deep within our being is your presence. You've created us that way. You've created us that our hunger and our thirsting would not be after things of the earth, but that our hungering and our thirsting would be after things of you because you knew that you were the only thing that could give us life. 
You were the only thing that could ever satisfy us. So I just, I just open my hands and put before you the things which I have thought are important, which pale in comparison to your presence, and ask that you would remove those things, Holy Spirit. And that my heart and my attention and my affection might be pointed completely to you. And we might wholeheartedly, with all of ourselves, submit to you and your truth this morning. Our prayer across this church is that you would simplify our hearts. Simplify our hearts to where the only thing we need is you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, last week we talked about, um, we kind of were in this discussion about the Holy Spirit. And last week, what really my question to you was after learning the three types of men, the natural man, what's the next one? Starts with a C, the carnal man, and the, starts with an S, the spiritual man. These are three types of men, right? And we, we had to understand, okay, it, it, this may be true, these designations, these categories of men, the, the natural man being the man that is not saved, that his spirit has not been regenerated, he is not in relationship with Jesus. This is the, the natural man, and uh, it's very animalistic. This man only knows how to survive based on what he thinks uh, and feels and what his physical body um, uh, desires, Right? But then there's this other, this, uh, the, on the opposite spectrum is the man who has encountered Jesus for salvation, where the blood of the Lamb has washed over him and his spirit has been renewed within him and the Spirit of God has taken up residence in him and he walks daily in obedience to the Spirit. This is the spiritual man, right? And I left this up on the, the board here. Uh, that's why you all got the answer, right? Very good. <laughs> this is a spiritual man with Christ is on the throne of his life and The works of the Spirit dominate his day. The carnal man is the last category where Christ sits on the throne of his life, but he is is working uh, in his salvation based on his flesh. He is still very much given to his flesh. He's not able to really receive deep truth because he processes in the flesh, right? We talked about uh, how Paul uh, comes to the church in Corinth and he says, I want to speak to you deep things, but I cannot because you're still acting as if you're of the flesh. You are acting carnal. He says there's envying, there's strife among you. Some of you say that you're of Apollo. Some of you say that, that you're of Paul. You're still bickering in these, in these small disagreements. He says, this is all of the flesh. And even though I want to give you meat, even though I want to feed you spiritual food of sustenance, I cannot because if I were to give it to you, you wouldn't know it, you wouldn't believe it, you wouldn't receive it because you're operating in the flesh. We recognize that things of the Spirit cannot be received and understood in our flesh. You know that? That you can't actually bring in truth into your being within your flesh. You cannot understand the things of God as an act of your flesh, as an act of your intellect, an act of your will, an act of your emotions. You cannot understand God in this way. It has to be spirit to spirit, right? This is the way that God has created us, that he might commune with us and have relationship with us. And I talked about there is urgency for two things in our church. Number one is that pastors would begin to teach meat. We've got a large problem in our churches that that for for the most part, there's not a lot of meat being taught. There's not a lot of real deep spiritual food being, being given. But along with this problem is a complaining people going, you're not feeding me meat. And, and, uh, but from the platform side of it, there's an issue 
Because many of us are still carnal, and even if the switch were to be made and pastors were to begin across the country to teach deep spiritual things, it would not land or be processed because many of us are still operating in the flesh. So there's a need for for both of those things to change. There's a need for us as a people to begin to be spiritual, to recognize that our carnal nature will not profit us anything in the kingdom, that it is time to uh, to completely surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit and know that we will only receive truth in that way and we will only live our Christian lives powerfully as we abide in Him. And then at the same time, for us from the platform to teach you spiritual things, deep things. And that's kind of where we left off. And I asked you, you know, you've got you've to ask the question, which, one, which category are you in? This is a tough question to ask. And, and I, I said that you'll know the answer, and this is where we drew the graph. You'll know the answer between spiritual and carnal based on the dominant factor of your life, right? How do I know that you're carnal? Well, the dominant factor of your life is your flesh. That's how I know that you're carnal, right? How do I know if you're spiritual or not? Which one dominates your life? Is the majority of your life activity that is held within the power of the Spirit, is the majority of your life found in abiding? That's not to say there are not moments of our flesh and the Holy Spirit is working to remove all of those. How many of you know He wants you to be exactly like Jesus? That's His goal and that's His desire, but to know which category I'm in is to know which one dominates my life. And this is a sobering question. This requires some self-examination, and I pray that that occurred with you this last week. But what I want to talk about today is as the Spirit refines you, and as He makes you into a spiritual uh, person in the image of Christ, as He does this work, what is your job? Right? We have to know how do we participate in this work. If really that's what the Holy Spirit is in me to do, to make me like Christ, to lead me into all truth, to teach me about Him, then what is my my part in this? How How do I have a role to play in this thing we call sanctification? And that's just a a Christianese word. It's it's in the scriptures. Word sanctification is the process of me being refined into the image of Christ. It's the process of the Holy Spirit eliminating the works of the flesh to where the, the uh, work of my life is in the Spirit. That's called sanctification, right? You guys with me? If you see that in the Scriptures, that's what it's talking about. So what is my role? We talked last week about the builder. Remember this analogy? We talked about how a builder, somebody who's going to build a house, knows not just what has to happen Not just that there has to be a foundation laid and that framing has to take place, that electrical work has to be done and plumbing has to be done, right? He he knows these things, but he also knows a very crucial element. He knows the element of order. You understand this? The builder knows exactly what order in which those things need to take place because if those things take place in the wrong order, right, what's going to happen? You're going to have to go back and redo. It's going to be a mess. Can you imagine trying to frame a house without a foundation, right? And then going, well, we need to put a foundation down. Is there any way we can just lift this thing up, right? It doesn't make sense. You, couldn't, you, could never, you could never square your walls. It would never make sense. And what we, we often miss sanctification because what we want to do is we want to take from the Holy Spirit the order in which sanctification occurs, Right? 
He is the builder. He is the one that knows all truth. He is the one that knows the order in our lives in which things need to take place. But many times we miss it because we're going, God, I want you to change this first, right? I want you to fix this relationship or I want you to fix this wrongdoing or I want you to fix uh, this in my heart. And the Holy Spirit is is going, I I would love to fix that, but, but this has to come first. Because this is a product of this. And if I don't fix this first, then this is going to be around for a long time. But most of the time we miss sanctification because we go, yeah, but I would rather you not touch that. This is what I want you to fix, right? God, I want to focus more on you. God, I want to burn for you. I want to, I want to learn to pray. And God says, get out of that relationship. And you go, no, 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 you didn't hear me. I want to burn for you. I want to learn how to pray. God says, you can't pray to me. Your house is divided. Your heart is given to this individual and not to me. Get out of the relationship. No, no, God, you didn't hear me, right? I want to learn to pray. You see the error. that When we become the builder, we we cannot sanctify ourselves. And I use that relationship a lot. I hope that I have not caused havoc in relationships in this room. Uh, People are like, people are breaking up all over the place because it kindles messages. That's not what I'm saying, right? But you see what I'm saying. Only he knows the deep places of your heart. Only he knows the things that need to take place in order for righteousness and holiness to occur in our lives. And if we attempt to take that from him, we will not be sanctified by the Spirit. We'll be sanctified by our flesh. And you'll be as carnal as ever. Are you with me? So he's the builder. He's the one that does the work. What is our job? It is so simple, beloved. Our job is so simple. It's two words. They go together. The first is abide. We're going to talk about this a lot more in a minute. First is to abide, to rest in. All of you right now are abiding in your chairs, right? You're trusting the chair to do the work that the chair said it was going to do. By faith, you are abiding in the power and presence of your chair by relaxing your weight onto the chair. Some of our chairs are a little sketchy, so don't abide too much in these. And the other piece, as we abide, we are obedient. This is our job. Isn't that simple? You wanted the answer to holiness? Abide and be obedient, right? How does that actually play out? Because I think that what we've done is we've, we've become a believer and we've been obedient and we've abided momentarily. And we've thought that somehow my, my obedience wants should slingshot me into this life of holiness, this life like Christ. Because God, I said yes to you yesterday. So why am I not seeing this powerful outpouring today? Well, we have to understand that abiding and obedience are two things that must happen continually in the life of the believer. They are not, obedience is not a time when I said yes to God. Obedience is a lifestyle of being given to his purposes and his work. And to be obedient continually, I have to abide continually. These are both things that cannot be broken. They are, uh, they are uh, continuous in the life of the believer. I want you to see this. David actually says this really well in Psalm 119. We'll start in verse, uh, in verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. 
And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Listen to him here in verse 44. I will keep your law, how often? Continually, forever and forever. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. How often is David abiding? How often is he being obedient? Continually. Do you see this? He doesn't set this as a moment. He doesn't set this as a, as a one-time thing where, God, if you will speak, I will be obedient. David says, my love and my delight is in your law and in your statutes and in your commandments, and I will continually remain steadfast in doing these things. That's how my love for you translates. First John tells us that this is, this, is what, this is what it means to love God, is to abide in Him, right? To do what He says. Jesus modeled this For us on the earth, his love for the Father was shown in his absolute obedience and abiding in the Father. Jesus never wavered in obedience, even in the tough things. Why? Because he loved the Father. His love of the Father brought continual obedience to the rules, regulations, statutes, laws, and commandments of the Father. And David says the exact same thing. I will be obedient continually. Let me just tell you where I think most of us miss this truth. I think a a huge uh, place of missing this has been in baptism, and I'll tell you why. Baptism in the Scriptures is designed to do several things, but one of those is to be the launching pad of obedience in our lives. Immediately, what what does Jesus do? Let's look at Jesus' baptism. John says to him, man, I I can't even tie your sandals, right? I can't even, I'm not even worthy to, to, to uh, do the job of a servant. And you want me to baptize you? And what does Jesus do? He says, he says, John, it's fitting for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John, this isn't about whether you're worthy or not. This is about my love for the Father. This is about obedience. And Jesus comes and is baptized. And the Lord has asked of us to follow in that, that baptism immediately after salvation. Why? Because it's the launching pad of obedience. We've seen a lot of uh, as we've talked about more of the Holy Spirit, as we've talked more about obedience, have you noticed there's been a lot of baptism lately? This is good. Because I believe when the Spirit of God begins to move, He takes us to that very first step, but many of us have missed that. Many of us have been saved. And this isn't like just a ploy for baptism because we're Baptist, right? We're saved and then we put off that very thing that God has instituted as the launching pad into a lifestyle of obedience. And we've said, no, I'll do that when I want to do that, right? I'll do that when I feel better about it or when this can happen or, or when this can happen. And, and beloved, I think we're missing it. Because God has said, look, as soon as you say yes to me, be obedient in this way. Why? Because your life has to be a life of obedience, I want to teach you how to immediately hear my voice. How many of you know that if you are saved, you've heard the voice of God? And what he's doing in the correlation of him speaking and you being saved in baptism is he's teaching you to know that these two things go together. Hearing him speak and obedience go together. This is the lifestyle of the believer, that I might hear you speak and I might be quickly obedient. 
But because many of us, and this is not just baptism, but many of us are saved and then we begin the work of sanctification, we begin the work of the Christian life in our own flesh, we have, we have never really abided in Him. We've never really been obedient. Instead, we've turned our heart and turned our attention to structures, to religion and to patterns of behavior. We've thought that being obedient means simply behaving a certain way. We've thought that being obedient simply means reading my Bible every day or, or being at church when it's open or, uh, or hanging out with Christian friends or, or, or abstaining from the things that, uh, that the heathen do, right? We, this, is what, this is what we somehow believe obedience is. And let me tell you, we're not far off. In obedience, some of these things will take place. Let me tell you, in obedience to the Spirit, you will love to read your Scriptures. In obedience to the Spirit, you will be drawn to community of brothers and sisters in faith. This will come from obedience, but we've somehow uh, taken obedience out of it and believe that the structures in and of themselves, the right or wrong behavior, will be what sanctifies us, will be obedience. And I want to tell you, absent the voice of God, none of it's obedience. It's all you. You with me? What do you have to have to be obedient to me? John, if you're going to be obedient to me in this room, what do you have to have from me? You have to hear me. You have to have direction from me. You cannot be obedient to me absent my word, right? You can guess. How many of us are guessing at what will please God? How many of us are, are guessing Going, but God, I've, I've done this, and I've done this, and, th- and this exists in my life. But God, really, I haven't done that. Look, my Facebook is clean, right? I'm serious. This, this is the inner dialogue that we have with the Lord. But God, look at what I have done. Look at this obedient life before you. And he says, oh, that's great, but it's all you. Point to one of those and tell me about when you heard me speak about it. Right? That's why most of that behavior ends up empty for us. That's why I sit across the room with people who are uh, 30, 40, 50 years old, been believers since they were 10, and they're going, ah, something's missing. And as we begin to open up dialogue, these are people that have been Christians for most of their lives, we begin to open up dialogue. The thing that is missing is the voice of God in their life. The thing that is missing is that voice that prompts action. Is that voice that stirs affection for God? Is that, is that power and that presence that is within them they've refused to cultivate relationship with because they've somehow believed that obedience is just being in the structure of Christianity? That's not true. God has not called you to a structure, God has called you to a person. He has called you to Himself. The product of Him calling you to Himself will result in things like. Love for the scriptures, devotion to God, brotherhood, right? It will result in things like abstaining from that which defiles your relationship with the Lord. It will result in those things, but those things in and of themselves will not bring about intimacy with God. Our job is to abide in Him. Our job is to be obedient. And the question that I most often get in this discussion is, well, how do I know that it's Him? Can we just be honest in the room? How many of you have ever had that question? How do I know if it's him? Like, I'm a believer, and I still don't know whether or not this is God speaking or whether this is me, right? 
If, this is re- if I'm really going to do this, if I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to forsake all the ways that would, in which I've tried to sanctify myself, and I'm going to give myself to obedience to the Spirit, I'm going to listen to His voice, voice, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ, I'm going to abide in that Word, and I'm going to be obedient to the Spirit today, right? I, I hope that that's where you're at. And some of you, that's maybe foreign. None of you, you may have never done that before, but you're going, I want that life. How do I know? How do I know that it's not me? Because Kendall, you just prayed, man, we're fickle. Are we not? We are fickle and we easily disguise the things of God to the things we want. How do I know that this is the spirit of God speaking and not my best idea? How do I know that it is the spirit of God that is leading me in this way or, or speaking this over me and not my flesh? Well, can I tell you that that's a good question to ask? That's not a question of little faith. That's a good question to ask. I believe that comes from the Lord. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says to test every spirit. Test everything, right? This testing that you're desiring to do, how do I know if it's me or, or, or just this impulse of my flesh? How do I know? This is a good thing. The scripture actually tells us you need to know. But what's the filter? How do I know the things that are of God and how do I know the things that are not? I want to give you a few of those um, a few of those elements of the filter on how you hear God. Because with the greatest desire to hear Him, if you don't know His voice, if you have no way to test, it's going to be very frustrating, very difficult. So here's the filter, alright? Here's how to test everything. And it's not bulletproof, but I believe from the scriptures, these are the things that we that are tried and true. Here's ways that you hear. Number one, you can hear from this book. This book is absolutely faithful to speak his word. Now, let me qualify. You cannot truly hear absent him. You can't just hear this book intellectually. Because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Spiritual things don't make sense. This is full of spiritual truth. Absent the Holy Spirit in reading this, you won't understand. But he speaks massively in this book. If you'll just sit with him and let him read it to you, it'll be so good. So this is one great filter. One of my prayers for your generation is that you would love this book. In the name of religion, you've forsaken a lot of the discipline around this book. In the name of hating religion, you've walked away from the discipline of this book in a lot of ways. And my prayer for you is that you would return to this book and love this book and be disciplined in this word. Not apart from him, but with him. You with me? This is one of the ways he speaks. You know, the other way that he's set up in the scriptures that he'll speak is in community, in fellowship of, of believers. Anybody just been around a friend that says something they don't even know that they're saying but speaks deeply to your heart? A believer that's abiding in the Lord and they say something over your life and it's powerful. Well, he uses the community, the fellowship of believers to speak. That's why it's so important that we gather together because God wants to uh, display his power in our midst. He wants to use you to speak life over your brothers and your sisters. This is one of the ways in which he speaks. Many of us don't want to hear that because we go, I don't want to hear from John. John, I'm picking on you today. I don't want to hear from John. I'd rather hear from you, God. God's teaching us something in our ability to listen to our brother. 
as the word of the Lord abides in him. He does it through prayer. He does it through leadership. As you submit to godly leadership, God will speak through godly leadership. He does it in a still, small voice, and beloved, he still does it in dreams. And beloved, he still does it in visions. There are countless stories across the Muslim world of dreams and visions bringing people to faith in Jesus. He still speaks in those really unexplainable ways. And I think a lot of it has to do, I try to pray this every night, that as my flesh sleeps, that my spirit would not, and it doesn't. My faith or my uh, connection with God is uninterrupted. It's continual. Whether I'm sleeping or awake or uh, here or in China, my connection with him as he abides in me is uninterrupted. And so I always pray before I sleep, God, that may I be attentive in your spirit. And that which you want to speak to me in a dream, you can have that. And you, those of you that have experienced that know there's a difference between dreaming and hearing God. You wake up different. The Lord has spoken significant things into my, my life and into our family in dreams. And he still speaks in this way. And if you're really disobedient, he'll speak as, uh, through a donkey. He does that in the scriptures as well. You've got to push him to that, though. You don't want to get to the donkey state. But even in those things, there still has to be a test. So even if I receive those ways that he speaks, there still has to be a test. Let me tell you just a few things that are in this filter. You guys good? Not if you're with me. Awake for the final push. Here's just a few ways that you know. Number one, the Holy Spirit will always, 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 always glorify Jesus. If it is the Holy Spirit speaking in your life, it will glorify Jesus. And let me tell you, it will not glorify you. The best filter, the best filter, that very first filter is to go, does this, what I'm receiving, does this glorify Jesus? And if at any juncture it does not glorify Jesus, it is not the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. We have that for the screen. Look at this. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You see this. Test the Spirit. If Jesus is not being glorified, it is not the Holy Spirit. Because when speaking in the Spirit, Jesus cannot be accursed. The only possibility that the Holy Spirit has when speaking is to glorify Christ. If whatever it is you're hearing, whether from leadership or whatever you're, you know, you're believing that this says, how many of you know the enemy used this against Jesus? You know this. How do we know whether this is being twisted and distorted by the enemy? Does what you're saying this means? Does it glorify Jesus? That's that first filter. Another great filter is it consistent with Scripture. Now here's a place I think we've departed. That doesn't mean that the only time the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He's going to quote you chapter and verse. Please stop that. Well, God, I won't believe it till you show it to me. Chapter verse right here. We've missed the Bible if that's how we're asking the Spirit of God to speak. We've completely, completely missed it. How often did He actually do that in the Bible. When? when? 
He didn't, did he? How many times did God go, prophet Isaiah, look back to Deuteronomy. Speak that word of Deuteronomy, right? He didn't do it. So what do I mean? It's consistent with Scripture. Well, you know what this does. This speaks to us the truth of God. It speaks to us the nature of God. We know Him in His perfect Word. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of war going on around this book, and whether it's authentic, whether it's legit, whether it uh, is actual truth. And it is not relative to culture. This book is not relative to culture, meaning culture doesn't get to say how this is translated and how this is uh, observed and what this means. Culture does not have that right. If this is truth, beloved, if you believe that this book is truth, then culture is relative to it. And it is the, it is the voice over culture because it is truth. And so we know that when the Spirit speaks, He will never speak in contradiction to the Word of God. This is a God-breathed word. We believe that. And it's applicable in all cultures. And the final test, uh, or one of the final tests, I, I think is a, is a good one, is, is the word that he's speaking over you consistent with his nature? Here's where, this one, where I get this one a lot. We'll be ta- I'm, I'll be talking with somebody who's just uh, stumbled and they'll be speaking about this, this thing called guilt. And they'll attribute that guilt to the Holy Spirit. They will be speaking of guilt while using the word conviction. And let me just tell you that guilt and condemnation are nowhere in the nature of God. They're nowhere in His nature over His people. So if I'm listening to you and I hear you speaking about the Holy Spirit speaking guilt, I'm going to say, test that spirit, because that's not the Spirit of God. Because guilt does not glorify Jesus. How do I know? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If condemnation is what you are feeling, you are not in the presence of the Lord. You are experiencing an external whisper of the enemy and he needs to be shut down in that moment because in Christ there is no condemnation. Is there conviction? Absolutely. But conviction always drives us to deeper relationship with the Lord. Conviction always comes with grace and with love. And it can be abrupt and it can be firm. That doesn't mean that God's always going to be nice to you in your sin. He may shake you violently in your sin, but it will always come with his nature. And praise God, he lays out his nature. Go to Galatians 5 and then we'll be finished. Just in case we were wondering, he says, let me tell you about who I am. Let me tell you about when my spirit is present. How do you know whether it's you or the Spirit, go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit. This is one of my favorite passages. Walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That's not our general advice, right? How do I quit sinning? Well, quit sinning. (laughs) The Bible doesn't say that. I think it's because the more we focus on our sin, the more we focus on the things which are bringing us down, the more we're actually attracted to those things. The example I use, if you're driving down a road and you begin to look at the white line on the side of the road, where are you going? To that white line. Anybody ever try to drive straight looking at the line? Don't try that, but I guess I have, and it doesn't work. You'll always drift. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Here we go. Know this. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here we go. How do you know if it's you? It's evident. Here's what it produces. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. The church needs to hear it. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. How do I know if it's the Spirit of God or my flesh? What does it produce? If these things are anywhere in it, it is your flesh, beloved. And don't try to justify it. Know that at the end of the road, if this is what is being produced, it is not of God, no matter how bad my flesh wants it. Because your flesh is against the Spirit. Your flesh wants to lead your life. But a new power has, has come in. It's the Spirit of God that is in you. He is the only one capable of leading your life. But your flesh will try and try and try and try to gain again a foothold and lead your life based on what you want to do. It is always self-seeking. It is always self-serving. If the word that you're about to... Well, here, here's a justification that is being proliferated in our culture in realms of sexual immorality. That, that pornography, viewing pornography is, is a personal thing. That it, that it only affects me. It's only relevant to, to me. And I tell you that that's absolutely not true. That, that it violates all of Scripture. Number one, Jesus says to even look on a woman lustfully is to commit adultery so we have adultery present, sexual immorality. The deeds of the flesh are evident. You can always trace the trail. What will this result in? It certainly, certainly resu- results in rivalries, dissensions, divisions, how many marriages have been broken. This is a test, beloved. Right? You with me? You understand? That's where the road ends. But here's good news. He says uh, in verse 21, he finishes and he says, I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he's going to contrast the deeds of the flesh. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I love this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning, if we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. So he says to us, this is the evidence of the flesh. This is the evidence of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do I know if it's the Spirit of God? Does it produce those things? That is his nature. He just said, when I'm present, these things are present. If what you believe the Lord is leading you to do or the Lord is speaking over you, see, much of this happens as we process internally, as we think thoughts about ourselves or about others. Is the fruit of the Spirit in it? If the fruit of the Spirit is not present, and not just one, 
How many of you know that when I'm here, all of me's here? Not just the part of me that likes to play basketball, right? That's not the only part that showed up this morning. The husband and the father also showed up, right? Why? Because where I am, my entire nature is. You with me? So where the Spirit of the Lord is, is all of the fruits of the Spirit. He doesn't just come in peace. He comes in all of it. If he's not all there, test it. Because he never shows up halfway. But this is a great filter for us to know his nature. And what they and what this will produce. The last thing, though, that you have to do, and I'm just going to finish up with this, and this is where I think we have the most trouble. All of this is great, but if you don't first trust him, it not, none of it works. If you, don't, if, you don't, if you have not first given yourself to him, it won't work. And the filter is, is pointless if you haven't first said, I trust you, and I'm going to believe that which you put in me. If we don't start with a yes before the Spirit, if we start with question, if we start with, uh, I'm not sure if I trust you, then we're going to find ways to prove that it's not the Spirit of God. I would say to you, trust first your new nature, that the Spirit of God is in you. And then from that place, from that yes and from that trust, test every spirit that you might confirm that it is the Spirit of God. And then let Him teach you. Man, let Him teach you. Let, be okay with it when you mess up. When you do something and it is your flesh and you thought it was the Spirit, don't condemn yourself and go, well, that's the last time I'm listening to that guy. No, learn. Go back to the table with the Holy Spirit and go, I believe that this was you, but it wasn't, and teach me where I missed it. Because He will, and that's part of that refining process. You guys good? All right. Things are going to be a little different. Life action is coming on Sunday. Not sure what anything's really going to look like. <laughs> so I'll see you next week. Uh, but I would ask that you, man, if you can, be there on Friday night. Um, and, uh, and let's just intercede for what God wants to do here. God, we love you. We praise you. And we just ask that you would do a work in our church and in our midst that we would not believe, even if you told us that you were going to do it. Pray for salvation. We pray for freedom. I pray across the room that people would give themselves to the work of the Spirit, that we would abide and be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed, not released.